Thanks for joining us at Keys for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers to discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word keys for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with a code word keys. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Welcome to this episode of Keys for SLPs. Keys for Trauma Resiliency. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, and tonight I am honored to have Christina Leem, a fellow SLP, as a co-host. Thank you, Mary Beth. We have a few disclosures, the financial and non-financial disclosures. None of us have non-financial disclosures. Mary Beth Hines receives compensation for this presentation from speechtherapypd.com. Caitlin Lopez receives also compensation for this presentation from speechtherapypd.com. And I, Christina Leap, and am employee with the ENT Physicians Group at the Loma Linda University, and I receive an honorarium for speech from speechtherapypd.com for this presentation. Thank you, Christina. And here are our learning objectives. One, list six skills of the trauma resiliency model. Two, describe how to apply the skills during a session. And three, list two resources for utilizing and learning more about the trauma resiliency model. And now, without further ado, we welcome our guest today, Caitlin Lopez. She has her MS and received her master's degree from Loma Linda University with her communication sciences and degrees or disorder in 2012. She has worked for the last 10 years serving preschool and elementary students in the California public school system. She is passionate about language therapy, creative service models, and partnering with families, teachers, and community partners to help students thrive. She currently has a podcast, This Speech Life, on speechtherapypd.com. We're so happy to have you on Keys for SLPs to talk about the trauma resilience model and how it can be utilized for co-regulation during therapy session. So welcome, Caitlin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on this side of the podcast today. So thank you. Yeah, we're excited to have you too. So our first question, will you tell us about yourself and your journey as an SLP? Yeah. So I, like you mentioned, I went to Lomeland University and went through their undergrad program and their graduate program. And actually, My last year in their graduate program, 
My aunt is a colleague of the creator of the Trauma Resource Institute, which has created the Trauma Resiliency Model, as well as the Community Resiliency Model, too, which I'll talk a little bit more about as we get going. So my aunt was visiting from DC. That's where she's living. And she was visiting and her colleagues came over and we were all over with family, just enjoying spending time with her. And they were sharing a little bit about their work. My aunt is a psychiatrist and she, the majority of her work has been with post-traumatic stress disorder and actually traumatic brain injury. And so Uh, I was in grad school and I thought that that's what I wanted to do when I grew up was work with returning veterans with trauma or with traumatic brain injury, because my aunt is just such a passionate, positive person. And so when you're around those people, it just drips off onto you. (laughs) She's now a retired general in the army. And so that was her, her baby. Her passion project was bringing PTSD PTSD therapy, as well as TBI together and having those coincide together. So during that evening, she had her colleagues that were involved with Trauma Resource Institute and had created it. And so we're all sharing and I'm just sitting there, sitting at their feet, eating up everything they're talking about. And the creator of Trauma Resiliency Model said, why don't you come to one of our trainings? And I'll give you a scholarship. You know, I was a student. I was only a grad assistant, not making much money. And she said, come to our training. I think it would be really beneficial for you. And at the time, they had a training for psychologists and therapists, mental health specialists. That was the training that I went to. And I am not that at all. I mean, we do some of it, right? As speech therapists, we kind of wear a bunch of different hats. But I was the only non-mental health specialist in the room. And I was also the youngest person in the room. Good for you. Good for you. (laughs) So that's how I ended up learning about Trauma Resource Institute and Trauma Resiliency Model. And I did the training that was for therapists. They have, and they, at the time, they were creating a model and they were utilizing it. They call it the community resiliency model, and they were training lay members to go into places that have experienced tragedy. They've been in Haiti. I mean, any big major thing that has happened, they have people on the ground teaching the skills that we'll get into. And you don't, the great thing about it is you don't have to have a degree to know how to do these things. You don't have to have a degree to, to utilize these things and to teach them, which is really great, but they do have a certification process and they do, if you want to be a teacher of the skills, I don't actually have it, but my husband does because he had an experience. He works at a local university and they had a student die by suicide. And so I was utilize I was coming on campus and utilizing some of the skills with the students and with him and he felt a difference and so he got trained to be a teacher so that he can train the staff and faculty that he works with to utilize them so So I know we're going to get into the training a little bit later but why don't we go ahead and talk about that now since we're kind of on that topic So before when you took the training you were the first SLP. Was it a, I guess it, what was your training like a a week long or a weekend or what's the process of the training? It's a weekend. So to be the trauma resiliency model is specifically for therapists. 
and they have level one and level two. I went to level one and it was a weekend. It was a Saturday, Sunday, all day, learning the background behind it and then practicing the skills and then practicing the skills with each other. And we'll, I'll get into the skills. You don't necessarily, one of the skills I don't necessarily use because I'm not having conversations about my students' trauma with them, where I'm having to get them to a place where they can be in a resilient zone to talk about their trauma, because that's not really beneficial for our time in speech therapy. During the back-to-school conference, we had Rachel Archambault be a part of the, she presented on post-traumatic stress disorder and what we need to know as clinicians working with students is we don't always have to know that somebody has gone. We don't need to know the specific trauma people have gone through, but we can recognize what that looks like and how to accommodate or meet them where they're at. And that's kind of the same thing with this. So that is the trauma resiliency model. And that is specifically for therapists. If you are a lay person, I would recommend doing like the community resiliency model. I don't know what it looks like if you don't want to be a teacher, but they have a book. There's a book, there's a podcast, the website has a ton of information, but then to be a a community resiliency model trainer, it's a week long process. And then you have to do a presentation and then you have to do a hefty project to get the certification. And then to keep your certification, you know, there's continuing education that you need to do and just kind of check in because they're always updating their language. As we know, in our field, things change quite frequently, and it does in their in their field as well. So, okay, so SLPs would be considered lay people. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, you could go to the tra- the level one. I think it would be totally fine, but I think the community resiliency model might meet. They've changed some things up a little bit, and I think it's less expensive too. <laughs> Okay. Well, that is always important, right? All right. Well, let's dive in. I think, Christina, you're up next. So can you tell me what is TRM or the trauma resiliency model? And then also what is happening neurologically when we use TRM? Yes. Okay. So the trauma resiliency model was developed through, there's two women that created it. The main person is Elaine Miller-Karras. She's a licensed clinical social worker. And she created it because we know that there is something happening biologically based in our brains when we're experiencing stress. And she, when with typical talk therapy, so this was originally created for therapists and mental health therapists, I should say. Thank you for the clarification, Mary Beth. So What she was finding was that when she was working with people and just doing that typical talk therapy, it was putting them back into their trauma and it wasn't really helping them work through it in some aspects. And so she created this model where you're working with what's happening, happening neurologically with us. So the idea is that we have a natural rhythm of our nervous system and We want to, we know about the autonomic nervous system. When we are under threat, we have fight, flight, freeze. And I think they've added a fourth one, befriend. And so through research that she's poured over and research that she's done, we know that naturally our nervous system gets bumped and that's okay. Sometimes we can get bumped really high and we find ourselves hypervigilant, anxious, 
aggressive, you know, we're like on that high alert, like really a lot of energy happening. And then sometimes some of us have the reaction of being bumped low out of that zone, that resilient zone. And that might, we might find ourselves being numb or lethargic, disconnected or apathetic. That's okay to get bumped, but what's not okay is when you get stuck there. And so she's created these different skills to help us just check in with what's happening in our body. And then once we kind of are sensing what's happening in our body, then it's much easier for us to get back into that resilient zone. And the resilient zone is not the happy zone. That's just where we are able to handle whatever is coming at us. Does that answer your question a little bit? Yes. Okay. It does. Thank you. And that's a really good clarification about the resilient zone, that it's not the happy zone. Can you repeat what you just said one more time for us and our listeners? It's not the happy zone. It's the... Yes. It's not your happy zone. It's the resilient zone. So we're not always looking to to make ourselves feel happy. We're just wanting to make sure, you know, because sometimes when things are happening that are very traumatic to us, we're not going to be happy. (laughs) And that's not the goal. The goal is, can I function? Can I get back to that place where I'm not super aggressive? And we all know what kind of happens to us. For me personally, I can get bumped really high. And then if I stay up really high for a very long time, then I get bumped really low. Like I just get really apathetic. And we know what that looks like, but can we be in a place where maybe we are able to function, make decisions, carry on with what we need to carry on with, but maybe not feel joy or happiness. (laughs) And that's the idea. And that's where we want to come back to that natural rhythm of our nervous system. Some people have really deep resilient zones where they can they can handle a lot of things or they can keep themselves within that resilient zone. And then some people have really shallow resilient zones. And the cool thing about trim is the more that you practice it, the trauma resource model or community resource resource model, the more you practice these skills, the deeper your resilient zone gets. So that's the, that's the really great thing about it. But Yes, I think that's an important point. It's not being happy. It's being able to just be able to live our lives and kind of know what's happening and being present, present. That's the biggest thing. I think that's a really good key indicator to me of if I'm in my resilient zone, am I able to be present and know kind of what's coming my way and think logically and clearly? And then I know if I'm always blaming somebody, I'm probably not being very present and I'm probably out of my resilient zone. Good distinction. Okay, so in our course description, for those of you who read it on speechtherapypd.com, you may have seen the term co-regulation. So to me, that was like kind of a new term. I understand what regulation is, but I was like, okay, what is co-regulation? So I thought it would be helpful if we just, it is what I guessed it to be, but can you define it for our participants? What is co-regulation as it applies to TRM? Yes, so co-regulation, what it is, is, If we notice that, so I work with children, so I'm going to be using children quite a bit. I also have a young child that I use this with a lot. Children will often get bumped out of their resilient zone very quickly because they cannot communicate. They have no control over their lives, if we're being honest. They're told exactly what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And so they can get bumped out of that resilient zone. We see them having tantrums and so on and so forth. But if I keep myself calm, it's much easier for me 
to work with that child, meet that child where they're at, and then also see if I can eventually get them to calm down or to co-regulate with me. But if, and that's the co-regulation is I'm regulating myself so that I can extend a hand to help them regulate themselves. But if I'm getting really, and I've been there where my daughter is screaming and I'm like, why are you screaming? I asked you if you wanted blueberries and you said yes. And now I put them in the wrong cup and now you're screaming. (laughs) But if I'm like really upset and not, you know, processing, if I'm really upset, I'm not able to talk her down, right? Like, I'm just like, no, this is how it is. That's maybe a poor example, but that idea of keeping myself calm and present so that I can help that child become calm or present themselves is the idea of co-regulation. And so as we're kind of walking through the skills, the skills are really, I think I took to it so, so incredibly is because it really felt like yoga on steroids to me. I had been practicing yoga for about five years before I started, before I was introduced to trauma resource model. And I just really took to it because I was like, oh my gosh, this is yoga on steroids. Yoga is all about checking in with your body and knowing how you feel and checking in with your breath. And if at least the yoga that I've been taught, you know, if you start, I like to practice more vigorous yoga. And so if my breath starts to catch and I'm not breathing freely, I know to myself, I need to back off. And so already having some of those skills of checking in with how I was feeling. And that's like what trim is. It's all about sensations in your body versus talking about the trauma or thinking about the trauma. It's really just using the sensations in your body to bring you back to that resilient zone. Wow. It sounds like circling back to the co-regulation, it sounds like de-escalating yourself so you can de-escalate others. Yeah. Okay. And then it sounds like baseline is like your, what do you call it? That zone again? The resilient zone? Resilient zone. Yes. So like that's like your baseline zone. Am am I kind of describing that correctly? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So you had mentioned that there are different skills in, you call it trim, T-R-M? Yes. Yes. Okay. So there's, there's the six skills. Can you tell us what those six skills are? And then we can kind of go down and break down each of those skills. Okay. So the first skill is called tracking. And then the next one is called resourcing. Next, we have grounding, gesturing, and then shift and stay. Gesturing and shift and stay, we will definitely talk about those, but I use the first three the most. I use those with my students. I use those My husband and I are always using them with each other. Now I like feel like I have that accountability partner, you know, when things start to get a little escalated between us, he's like, we need to use our skills. And I'll say, I just want to be angry. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so there's tracking, resourcing, grounding, gesturing, shift and stay. And so the first one is tracking. And that really is just noticing what's happening in your body. So a lot of times, especially if you've been through a really traumatic event, I mean, you just feel so disconnected from your body. I know teaching yoga, a lot of my first time students don't even realize that there's toes at the end of their feet. They've never thought about it or sensed it or felt it. So tracking is just paying attention to where you feel sensation in your body. And it's, this is a really tough one for people that have never done it before. And that's okay. That's really okay. Especially when I was working with the students at my husband's school, 
it was really hard to try and get them to figure out what tracking was because they were so caught up in their heads. It was like, well, I think I just feel a lot of anxiety in my chest. Well, tell me what that feels like. Well, it feels like I'm stressed. Those aren't sensing words. What is the sensing words? Do we feel heat? Do we feel tightness? Do I feel a certain color? Do I feel, and I know that sounds really strange, you know, feeling color, but like really just kind of closing our eyes, tracking what it is we feel in our bodies and, and just noticing it for what it is, you know, not placing it's negative, it's positive, it's neutral just yet, just noticing, okay, which is kind of our first clue to feeling that we've been bumped out, right? If somebody gets bumped really low, they might just feel cold, tired. I feel heaviness in my shoulders. I notice that my my heart is beating really fast and I can feel this energy in my chest. Or I notice that I'm breathing really shallow and really quickly, those kinds of things. Or maybe I feel pain in my my head. You know, there's lots of different things. So tracking is just that first bit of noticing that is really powerful and kind of helping us realize something is amiss. Or maybe I think it might be amiss and I do some tracking and I'm like, hey, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. (laughs) So that's the first bit. And then the second one is resourcing. And resourcing is one of my favorite ones. I utilize this all the time. So resourcing is thinking about something that brings you joy or strength. So... It can be a memory, it can be an animal, it can be a person, it can be, and you can have several different resources. It doesn't just have to be one thing. And I like to pick something when I'm teaching others to do this. I like to pick something that I can kind of think about all five senses as best as I can. So memory, or as I'm thinking about a resource, I like to think about those things my one of my husband's resources is he there is a gardens near us and he will talk about going to the gardens and he'll close his eyes and he'll think about the tall trees and he'll just just think about all those sensations and kind of place himself there and so you kind of use resourcing and tracking at the same time for me I think of a memory from a particular yoga class many years ago, and it it was an ongoing class on Friday evenings. So it's kind of a mesh of all those memories of, I think about just feeling really sweaty and hot and strong and how much space was in my lungs and I could easily take a deep breath. And I'm thinking about the smell because it didn't smell the greatest. (laughs) (laughs) but as I think about that and I think about the people that are surrounding me that were really good friends of mine it gives me a sense of lightness in my chest but then I also just feel like this strength in the kind of the bottom of my gut and this peace and I can feel my my breath deepen a little bit and get a little bit easier as I think about my resource so That's something that I will often do if I know that I'm going into a contentious IEP. I'll think about my resource before I go in there and get myself in a good place physiologically. If I know that I'm going to have to have a tough conversation, I'll resource before I go into that tough conversation. And that's how I utilize it most often. And then something that 
we that I'm really it is kind of fun that my husband's gone through it recently because he as we're talking or as we're you know experiencing something as a family he's like I'm going to resource this and then he'll start talking about the sensations I mean, he's much better at this than I am you guys should have been re- interviewed him <laughs> <laughs> no um, but he he'll start talking about the the sensations that he's experiencing in that moment you know if we're doing something with our daughter and we're at the beach and he's like oh man this feels so good. I'm thinking about the sun and the smell of the salt air and listening to her laughter. And, oh, this feels really good. Oh, I just feel this like burst in my chest of joy. And, you know, which is not necessarily a a sensing word, that joy word, but, and then he's like, I'm going to add this to my resources. And so that's also helpful for us. So that's resourcing. And then grounding is very similar to tracking, but you're being a little bit more intentional and you're being a little bit more in terms of kind of tracking. You're just noticing what's going on, getting those quick sensations. And grounding is a little bit more intentional about paying attention to getting our body grounded. So you can either stand, you can sit. I know in sometimes I'll stand up and find a wall space and kind of, especially like the edge of a corner and I'll rub my hand against that corner. And then I'll just feel whatever it is that's supporting me. Sometimes I'll lean against the back of a wall so I can feel my feet down on the ground, my body pushing up against the wall. And then it's really just kind of looking for those places in my body. Maybe you start, if you're sitting, starting to feel, what does that sensation feel like? As I'm sitting on the chair, do I feel my bottom of the thighs being supported by the chair right now? So I'm a little short. My feet never touch the ground in any chair I sit in, but I cross my legs. So one foot is on the ground. I did not know that. For some reason, your pictures, I thought you were about like five, seven. I had you. No, I'm five. So, I mean, I'm not really short, but I just, my feet are always flailing in chairs. So I have the same problem. (laughs) Yes. As I say, Christina and I are about the same size. And so I'll, you know, I'm feeling my one foot, the kind of ball of my foot pressing down onto my chair and I feel that support. And then I have a great chair with some armrests. So I'm pressing my, I can feel my wrists and my forearms pressing into the chair. And then once you feel that groundedness, can you start to feel relaxation or deep breaths and then kind of moving up from the bottom up and noticing, okay, do I notice my feet? What does that sensation feel like? Is it positive, neutral, negative? And then you just kind of move up and find those just taking sense of what is a positive feeling or a neutral feeling or a negative feeling in your body. So that's grounding. And then gesturing, I don't really use because this is more having to do with that. The idea is you kind of work through these skills to get somebody in their resilient zone. And then you start to talk about their trauma or you start to talk about whatever it is that they've come to mental health therapy to talk about. And so then you start to gesture and this is a little bit of where that co-regulation can sometimes come in. So as somebody's talking, a lot of times they'll move their hands or they'll take a deep breath. And if I'm the clinician, I would say I would either start to imitate them if they're moving their hands, I'll just kind of imitate them and, and draw attention to that. Like, oh, I see you're moving your hands. How does that feel if you were to do a little bit more of that? 
how does that feel if you were to change that movement a little bit? And it's, it has more to do with that idea of kind of moving energy through your body or moving some of that space out or noticing how, oh, I just noticed you took a deep breath. That's a, you know, did that feel positive, neutral or negative? It's a lot of just asking questions and then shift and stay. I actually do use shift and stay quite a bit for my own personal, but shift and stay is this idea of kind of working through like negative sensations in the body. I use this all the time when when I have headaches. I like to think about where the pain is in my head or wherever it might be. And then can I go to the very edge of the pain? And then what does that feel like? And then after I kind of sense that I'll find a neutral place in my body. My toes are always neutral (laughs) and I'll go and feel like, okay, what is my, what do my toes feel like? Okay. I, I noticed that neutral space. And then I'll see sometimes I'll do different things where I'll either think about growing that neutral space up my legs all the way to my head, or I'll go back to the pain, see if I can take a deep breath and kind of soften that edge of wherever the pain is in my head or wherever it is. And then go back to my toes. And and that's the shift and stay where you're kind of toggling between positive sensations and negative sensations in your body. I use it for pain. It was utilized with us during the, the mental health therapy training that we could utilize that. They were using it a lot with veterans who were experiencing a lot of physical pain. So that that's something. So that kind of breaks them down in my daily And with my students, I use tracking, resourcing, and grounding. And then personally, I use shift and stay. And then I don't ever really use gesturing. So you don't. Okay. So we have a question from one of our participants and you just touched upon it a little bit. She said, so this can be used for more than just trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, and trauma, you know, I think it's important to kind of think about how we Define trauma, something that Rachel Archambault said at our back to school conference, which just really resonated with me is this idea of in the trauma world, there's big T and little T and big T is things like Maui. You know, we had these horrendous wildfires that happen and that is big trauma. And then there's little T that happens that it does impact our nervous systems when somebody cuts us off on the freeway, right? We, is that as traumatic as Maui? Probably not. But it is something that is, it bumps us out of our resilience zone, or it can. And then Rachel also talked about working with students is, you know, it's not really helpful if it's really important to that student and really traumatic to that student. Is it really helpful for me to ignore it if I don't view it as being, you know, a big traumatic thing? And so I think, but that's just a, I kind of digressing a little bit, but you can use this for more than just trauma. I've used it for pain. Like I mentioned, that's been so helpful. (laughs) And, you know, I also like using it for, for language therapy and how I've kind of utilized it. We know that our students, our autistic students struggle with interoception. So they struggle with those inside sensations. They don't really know what those are. They don't have language for them. You know, we know that our students sometimes struggle with knowing when they're hungry, knowing when they have to go to the bathroom, knowing these deep sensations that we think everyone just kind of knows. And so I feel like sometimes this tracking or this resource, the tracking and the resourcing can kind of help them 
with some of that, you know, especially if we are, I'm noticing that they're having fun and I'll, I, you know, I'll ask them, where does that feel good in your body? And sometimes they just look at me and I'll give them the example of, oh, it feels really good in my body, in my, my tummy. I kind of have some, some funny sensations in my tummy, you know, and I'll, I'll just model that for them. So I like to use it in that way too. So you're telling me that this can be used for potty training. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I guess so. Right. I didn't even think of that. We just went through that with my daughter and I, you know, didn't necessarily think of that of like, but it it can be right. Just that general idea of thinking about our sensations, giving language to our sensations and getting out of our heads a little bit, I think could be helpful. So, yeah, that is really interesting. That's so cool. So if someone would like to learn more about TRIM, what resources do you recommend? I mean, I know you mentioned the book and the website, but what what else would you recommend? The book and the website, there's also a free app. It's called iChill. I have it on my phone. The graphics are very old. It's it's a free it's a free app, so you get what you pay for, right? But it has the skills in there which are really helpful if you can't remember. It has the iChill overview where it kind of, you know, talks about just what the trauma resiliency model is. The skills are there and it's, yeah, it's awesome to have. They they created it because they were originally working with these returning veterans with PTSD and something would happen and they would immediately just kind of get triggered. And they didn't really know what to do. And so if we give them an app on their phone that they can just pull up and kind of work their way through the skills, they found it really helpful. And it's helpful for me too to like, okay, you know, I was going off of the skills, looking at the app as I was talking about them. So that's really interesting. I forgot. She has a podcast too. So if you look up and they have lots of different topics that they cover, it's not just trauma related. I'm trying to, I think they have a, They do a podcast every Tuesday, I feel like. And she's on Instagram too. If you look up Trauma Resiliency or Trauma Resource Institute, you should be able to find them. Yes, iChill app. If you just uh, put in your app store iChill, it should pop up and it should be, let me see if I can pull it up so I can describe the logo to you. It looks like people holding hands, standing on top of the world, and then like a sun up above them is what the logo looks like for iChill. Okay. And it's all one word. Excellent. Excellent resources. Well, those are very helpful. Okay. So we have our, our six skills, tracking, resourcing, grounding, gesturing, shift and stay. You said you mainly use the first three in therapy. Sometimes you use gesturing and not shift and stay as much in speech therapy. So can you give us some examples of how you use those skills in therapy? And you are mainly in the preschool, correct? I'm actually, this year, I am preschool through sixth grade. Oh, okay. Perfect. Okay. So if you, if you could, Give us an example for like the the preschool younger set and then how you might use it with those, I guess, sixth grade. We've got some tweens in in that age group where where it's one thing that as you were talking and I was thinking you were in preschool, I was thinking how wonderful for these kids to learn this at such a young age. 
and to be noticing what their resources are and and intentionally building those memories of those positive resources and which which when i think of intentionally building those memories of positive resources you really are talking about mindfulness really being present so this is great stuff all right well <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, you know, it is, that's really, I think, like I said before, I think that's why I took to it so well was because I had been practicing yoga for about five years. And then it was like, oh, this is yoga on steroids. You know, it's coming at it from a little bit of a different perspective of, I think, what I had kind of learned about yoga up until that point was so removed from like the regular world, you know, you sit in meditation and you're quiet and, and you're, you're more, you know, you're present in your sensations on your body, in your body, on your mat. But this is like, as you're going through everyday life, how are you experiencing the world? Well, and so often in yoga at the end of of class, we, you know, we say that, you know, bring, bring this, bring the namaste with you throughout the day or bring these feelings throughout the day but this but we don't really have any concrete method for doing that and the trim provides that yes yes absolutely yeah so what I'll do a lot of times is I'm walking with my students cuz I will go and get them i this is the first year that i've had a very on top of it, type A principle who's like, we're doing IEPs on this day. This is how it's going to go. And in the past, it's just been like a free-for-all of whenever you can schedule an IEP, you schedule it. And so I have always walked to go get my students because I try to keep to a schedule, but when you are living that way, you know, well, you can't. And so it's just habit for me to walk and get my students and especially the little ones you want to. So as I'm walking back to the therapy room, I'll usually check in with them, ask them how their day is or, but that's a pretty big question. You know, how was your day? I was just in an IEP this morning and the mom said, my kindergartner doesn't answer how his day is. He said it was good. And I was like, well, it probably was good, but we have to be a little bit more specific. But anyway, I'm digressing. So I might ask them a specific question about did something funny happen? you know, how did that feel in your body? But then again, that's really hard for them to put themselves in that moment. So I might ask them, you know, as we're walking to, do you feel the sun? What does that feel like on your skin? As because we live in Southern California, so it's always hot. Uh, What does that feel like in on your skin? If somebody does something funny during therapy, or if somebody shares, like it was my birthday, how did that make you feel in your body? What does that happiness feel like? It was things like that. And then I'll get, like I said, I'll give them examples of like, oh, and I'll even make it, you know, oh, my cheeks really hurt when I was laughing at you when you made that funny joke or I felt sensation. I felt that, you know, my cheeks felt funny from smiling so much, you know, they, they felt tight and I'll give them like that kind of a sensation. It doesn't have to be super deep, just them even noticing it. And then Again, it's really what we do all the time because we're, you know, as we're working with articulation, do you feel that sensation? Do you feel your tongue there? Do you feel your your lips making that shape? So I find that to be, it goes really well with what we're doing because we can also kind of apply some of those ideas to speech. And then again, giving them some of those sensations. Sometimes I, if I notice a student is dysregulated and then we can get them regulated, because you you can't really take in a lot of information as you're dysregulated. 
So as that happens, I might, once I get them regulated and I'll say, Hey, I noticed that your, your shoulders are really high, or you seem really angry. Where do you feel your anger? You seem really upset. And of course, these are students that I've been working with for a while that I might say, like, I might give them examples of like, I feel really, when I feel really angry, I feel it in my chest or so because a lot of the students that I'm working with, they don't have the language. So I'm just always modeling the language of what I'm seeing. Hey, I'm noticing this in you. It feels like this in me. Does that feel right or wrong? And sometimes they'll say, yeah, or no, or they'll ignore me. (laughs) And then again, like talking about as we're, as we're walking with my students, that might be a little bit have a little bit more language as we're walking, you know, what did you do over the weekend? How did that feel in your body as you talk about it? You know, when you're telling me that your, your dog had puppies and I see you smiling, how does that feel in your body? And they'll give me some really kind of profound answers sometimes that I wasn't expecting. And like, oh, that's really cool that you felt that in your body, you know, like, oh, my tummy tickles when I think about the puppy licking its mommy or something. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, great. So, and I know that that, that's a difference from the trauma resource uh, model when the mental health therapists are doing the therapy, they're not giving their sensations at all. They're not talking at all, but this is a little bit different from my perspective of working with students that don't have the language. Um, So just to make that caveat that what I'm doing is vastly different than what I was taught to do, but I feel like with some of our students like I mentioned before, you know, especially our autistic students, they don't really have those interoception skills. And so we're trying to build those um, and trying to build kind of focus on what sensation feels like um, because they've never really done it before. So, uh, so, and you know, I'll use those with like my older students. Tell me about what you did over the weekend. What did that feel like? Tell me about a funny memory. What do you feel in your body as you're starting to tell me that? And those students can do some of those things. Um, And if they said, oh, I just felt really angry. Well, what did that anger feel like? I'll keep pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. That's a, that's a thinking word. Let's, what are some feeling words? And then we'll brainstorm feeling words and then, okay, which ones do you want to circle of how you felt? Uh, So it can be a language activity (laughs) that we're, and that's, I think the difference between what I'm doing with it versus the mental health therapist, they're really trying to get people to, to think about it. And I'm, I'm bringing in both things. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how do you bring in the resourcing into a session? So the resourcing um, sometimes like, like I'll ask them what they did over the weekend. You know, what is it that made you happy over the weekend? What is it that made you laugh? What is your favorite uh, memory with your family? Especially at the beginning of the school years, we're trying to get to know our students and, and build up that rapport with them. Um, we'll all go around and share our favorite memory. And then we'll share how it, as we're talking about it, I'll just ask them, how does that make you feel in your body? Um, I don't necessarily teach them like, oh, this is something you can take with you always. Uh, I'm not necessarily teaching them that aspect of it, but I, I might for, you know, those students later on as we become closer, or I know I had some, I had a sixth grade girl last year who I actually had as a first grader and kindergartner at a previous school many years ago, um, or I guess five years ago, but it felt like a very long time. Um, and she was a sixth grader and she was going through some pretty tough stuff at home. And so I did mention to her, you know, as you're telling me about, 
hanging out with your family and going to the drive-in movie theater and you're describing all these things, you can always come back to that to help you feel, you know, feel those sensations again. Um, because she was, she had a lot going on last year. Um, so I did mention that with her, but I'm, I don't necessarily mention it with all the students, but she was someone who had come to me opening up about some pretty tough stuff that was going on at home. And, and we can be that safe space for our clients, our students, our patients, you know? Um, and so that was, that was helpful for her, but she's really the only one that I've ever done that with. Have you ever used any of the skills with the um, any of your students who may maybe having a meltdown or um, are, are very very dysregulated uh, when they come to see you? I you know I haven't, but only because I feel like language is not helpful when those students are super dysregulated, and this has more to do with me watching occupational therapists over the last 12 years and, you know, picking their brains. And, um, I just feel like adding more. And of course I'm thinking of my students that have language processing disorders already. So that's just adding another demand to them. Um, but later on, once they're not dysregulated, we might talk about it or we might talk about like, Hey, I, you know, I, you can feel really angry in your body, but you in, and I know you feel angry in your body, but what's a better way other than destroying some textbooks or (laughs) throwing things or tearing off the bulletin board. This was a situation that happened last year, um, with, it was like one of my first sessions with a student. And I realized where I had messed up was I was doing, Um, once a month, I just, I only take data once a month with my students because I, our sessions are so short in the school setting and I want to utilize as much time as I can for that teaching and that practicing, um, that sometimes I feel like data gets in the way of that a little bit or the data collection. So anyway, um, the first week of the month is typically when I do it and I will work with the student one-on-one, take their data exactly how the goal was written to take it. And then I'll work with the next student and so on and so forth. And so I give them, I think that week where I had given the students magnetiles to work independently while I was working with them one-on-one. And I had told the students and I was new to them. They weren't used to this process, but I said, okay, um, Mary Beth, Christina, time to switch. And my student was building something that he knew in his brain what he was building. He was working very hard. And the other student just came right over. He was told to switch and started playing. And it wasn't enough time for that student to to make that transition happen for him. And he lost it. Um, And so looking back now, I'm like, of course he lost it. You know, I totally disrupted what it was that he was doing. And he just really immediately started. And he has a brand new teacher to working with students that um, present as he does. And so uh, so they like were really afraid. And I and I noticed that he had he he needed a lot of deep sensation because he kept pushing against me. He wasn't trying to hurt me. Um, but he started to like just rip things apart and I got him into an area that he was safe um, and he was pushing against me. So I just kind of kept pushing against him too. And then I eventually, he eventually calmed down and I just rubbed his back, you know, with deep pressure. And then he calmed down. And then I said, um, student, <laughs> student, I still love you. We'll talk about this later. 
you know, I still love you. It's okay. I understand. We can be angry sometimes. And then later on, when I went to go talk to him, I apologized. I said, I'm really sorry. You were so busy working on that. And I didn't give you enough time to finish. And I didn't let you know that I wasn't going to give you enough time to finish. Um, And so I was much more mindful of that in the future. (laughs) Um, But then at that point, like after building some rapport with him, I might bring up as we're kind of talking about it, you know, what does it feel like to be angry in your body? Where do you notice that? But in the moment, I just felt like it was too much for him. Um, So once he calmed down and then, and then we talked about, okay, in the future, this is, you know, I'll give you a two minute warning or a three minute warning or whatever. Um, And I have had no behavioral issues with him so far, you know, so I think it's important. And I think it's important sometimes to apologize when we're like, oh, I was just thinking the same thing and that really um, giving him that grace, apologizing and giving him grace and recognizing that, you know, there was someone else contributed to the situation that that was that's huge. Yeah. And, you know, I'm always going back to, oh, man, kids have no control, (laughs) you know, like from they don't make any decisions in their day. Um, and even when they think they're making a decision, it's because I've offered them two decisions that I'm okay with. Right. So I just have to remember that, that like, sometimes the tantrums that we see or the, you know, the things that happen, it's like, okay, well, let me put myself in his shoes. Let me try and think about what's happening for him. But anyway, I'm digressing. We're not, I'm moving away from the, the re the trauma resource model. Um, but I think it's helpful to kind of take into consideration everything that's happening with a child. And that's kind of what trauma resource model, like the basis of it is, is looking at everything that can happen. And then how do we, how do we bring ourselves, you know, back to, to that resilient zone, not happy, just resilient, you know? And I think I, thinking about this particular student, I have seen him since then get angry but he's no longer throwing things and trying to tear up the bulletin board and pushing against his teachers. He's getting angry, but he's able to chat, you know, channel that anger in a way that's positive. And that's something that we're trying to do with our daughter all the time. You can be angry, but you cannot hit hands. Are not for hitting. <laughs> well, I've also, as you've been talking, thinking about how this applies to adults. Um, so, uh, Christina, did you want to talk a little bit about that? I know you and I both work with adults and we, we talked a little bit about how this might apply. What are your thoughts? Wow. Um, and I'm just hearing these six skills for the first time tonight with, with everybody too. And I'm thinking to myself, I work with voice and swallowing patients and there's so many sensations that go into your voice. And into, I mean, we, you know, uh, Mary Beth, you and I talked about resonant voice and feeling the sensation in the front of the face. I have to tell you, there are not very many people who are in touch with their bodies and in touch with their voices and in touch with their swallow. I mean, and I think I'm one of those, (laughs) sadly, but, you know, because I've been um, able to develop that skill. It, it works for me, you know, and, and I help them develop that skill as well. Where do you feel that in your body? You know, what, what does that feel like to you? Is that easy? Is that challenging? Is that, you know, is that uh, rough to you? What, what does it feel like inside when you use that type of, you know, voice method or whatever? So 
I honestly wish that this was something that we taught in school. Like, what does this feel like inside, you know, growing up in school, what does this feel like inside of you? Because there are patients who come to me and they are not good voice therapy candidates, unfortunately, because they have not developed this skill. And I don't have the time to teach them this skill from the get-go, you know, of what that feels like in your body. Um, and then to maintain that through, you know, your conversational voice use. So um, it definitely would be helpful <laughs> for the, the voice population. Uh, I don't, what about you, Mary Beth? What do you think? Well, I just think of when you, most of the time, when you see an adult, um, they have experienced some trauma prior to coming to speech therapy. There's um, a medical diagnosis that is usually traumatic um, that that they have been working through before they see you, or if you're um, working in an inpatient setting, you know, they're in the midst of their trauma. Um, So being able to give them the language to track some of those feelings and how it feels um, in the moment. And then um, when they're struggling um, to be able to actually, I I would possibly use this uh, to help an adult who's dysregulated um, quickly, you know, during a therapy session. Um, I just, I had someone recently and, you know, within five minutes of them arriving, it was pretty clear that speech therapy was probably lower on their priority list and they had other priorities and were, were very um, emotional. So kind of possibly being able to use the, the tracking, resourcing, grounding to then get back into the task at hand for speech therapy. Absolutely. I, and I think that that could work. I'm, as you were talking, I was like, oh, I did use some aspects of grounding, which actually got me interested in doing my yoga teacher training to begin with was it was my first year. And I had, I was working in the emotionally disturbed classroom, um, which is it, that's what it's called in California for your mental health uh, students that are experiencing mental health issues. Um, and that classroom, to be real, it was just a potpourri of students. It was if they had behavior issues, they put them in this class. So um, I just remember there was a lot of energy in the room that day. They didn't really care what I was having to say. And I thought I was trying all my teacher tricks that they say to use and they weren't working. And I thought, well, what works for me? Breath. But if you've ever asked a child to take a deep breath, they start hyperventilating. Um, and so then I had them elephant. I was like, okay, let's do some elephant walking around the table because I thought, how do I get them grounded? And I'm coming from a yoga practitioner, somebody who had been, you know, going to yoga classes, but I hadn't really gone through my training yet. Um, and so I had them, I was like, okay, kids know what elephants are. Can they take big, heavy steps? around the table. And then after they could do that, then I kind of modeled some, okay, let's breathe our arms up, see how long it takes you to lift your arms up with your breath and then let them go. Um, and so that was helpful. And then I, they were like, what are we doing? I was like, oh, we're doing yoga. And so then we did some, some tree pose. And then I tried to do crow pose with them. You know, they were, they were fifth grade boys. So they were very into like showing off and, um, and then we moved on to the table and we moved, you know, we were able to sit at the table and do whatever we needed to do for the rest of the session. And that's kind of, I was like, whoa, there's something here. Like this is, 
this is helpful for kids. So I have done things like that, but I haven't necessarily brought in the language of, oh, and I think now I probably would notice how your body feels after we did that. What is that? And I have done that like with some kids, you know, I, I'm, I shouldn't say, you know, you don't know this. My office is up two flights of stairs. And when we get to the top, I'm like, oh man, my body feels so tired. My legs feel so heavy. My legs, you know, they feel tingly and they hurt. What do yours feel like? You know, when we get to the topper, oh, I notice I'm, I'm out of breath. It's hard for me to take a big breath. And kids will say, me too. It's too hot. And I'm like, yeah, it is too hot. <laughs> so I think that was helpful, Mary Beth, for, you know, to hear you say, oh, well, you know, I've got people coming in and especially your adults that are coming in, they're rushing around all day and then to sit and focus on something that's hard for them. I can see resourcing being really powerful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And here, one of our participants says, this seems like a helpful tool for stuttering as well. Absolutely. I have two on my list, right? Or two on my caseload right now that have no, no idea what's happening in their bodies. So that's something that like, you know, it, it can totally be helpful of, um, of maybe doing some, sometimes tracking is too hard. So you might want to start with grounding first and then getting that sensation of what does it feel like when you push down on the table or you push your feet down on the floor? What does that feel like? Cause that's when you're doing something active, you can kind of feel that sensation versus just I'm sitting here supposed to be sensing my body. What does that mean? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's something that I should mention is I don't use them like, okay, I did this one. I did this one. I did this one. I use them kind of wherever I feel like it's appropriate for that that child or for myself or whatever. I like that. So you can pick and choose, not necessarily go in that order, the order of like one through six, um, the, the skills, but you can kind of choose which one you feel like you could implement and it would be helpful for your students or your client. And that's how I utilize it. I mean, I, I don't know that that's the try, you know, try the trim model. Um, but like, you know, it's, you sit down and you're like, okay, what are you feeling in your body? Well, I don't really know. Okay. Well, what happens if you push against the wall? What do you feel? Do you feel the coldness of the wall against your skin of your hand? Where do you feel that coldness? Where do you feel, you know, what does it feel like if you were to push harder or whatever? So I think I would use, um, I don't think the trim people would have a hard time with me saying that. Because it, it, you know, if you've never done this before, like Christina, you know, you were saying they're not good candidates. They've never learned this before. So sometimes we have to start small and teach them. And that's where I have started with grounding, especially when I was working with the college students. Um, they, some of them had no idea, had never done it before. And then I would just have them close their eyes and like, take a deep breath. Do you feel the back of your throat get cool as you breathe in through your nose? No. Okay. Well, why don't we take a couple of deep breaths? What do you feel? But that's a little bit more. And again, the, the trim model is more about asking questions than guiding the process. But I feel like sometimes people need to be guided or given examples because it's like, what do you mean? I've never done this before. So I don't know. Right. Well, and as you said, um, given sometimes the language helps too. Yes. So, um, very interesting. So you were the first SLP to go through the trim training. Do you know, are you aware of other SLPs taking the training? Uh, you know, I don't know. And I don't know if I was the first, I just know I was the only one in that particular training. 
there was a woman who had been an educator for many years and then became a mental health professional. And so she was really fun to connect with during that weekend because she's like, oh, these are some things that I did with my students or, you know, this is, um, I did, uh, she would do like sandbag breathing is what she called it. So have her like kindergarten students take a deep breath in. And then as they release, think about sand, like leaving their toes. Um, you know, like you're, you're filled with sand. And then you, as you breathe out, all the sand is slowly going out of your body and out through your toes. So she would do things like that just to kind of get her students grounded because it's new information. Um, so I don't know if there's other, I'm sure there are other speech therapists who have gone through it. I know when my husband did his, he did the community model. Um, and I mean, he's, he's a chaplain, so he's kind of a mental health professional, but kind of, you know, not. Um, and there were, there were like retired people that were in it that were just curious. <laughs> um, so I'm sure that there, there are, but I don't know who they are. Well, wonderful. Um, all right, Christina, did you want to add anything? No, I think Caitlin, this was so valuable. I wish, like I said, I wish we all learned this in grade school and there was a little class about it. I mean, um, but you know what you're doing with your students, that's amazing. And I think it's great, great work and we could all benefit from this for sure. Well, thank you. I, you know, I think it's, it's helpful for me personally to keep myself present, or to keep myself, you know, recognizing um, what's happening. And I think it, like, I shared that story about the student who was dysregulated. And if I had been really triggered by his outburst and really afraid and like, oh my gosh, I probably wouldn't have responded the way that I respond. Um, so I really attribute it to the work of, of Trim and me, you know, practicing these skills of like, okay, let me take a step back. What's really happening here? Um instead of just reacting to the student and how can I respond to him? He's upset for some reason. Why is he upset? Like that's not a normal reaction <laughs> to being told to switch places. So, so I think that it is, it's helpful for me. I think it, it does help the students. Um, and I'm just really grateful for it. And I definitely encourage everyone to check them out. Well, thank you. It was so fun to be with you tonight. And this was so helpful. I'm just really excited to think of you using this with the preschoolers and, and the grade schoolers who you who you work with. And as Christina said, to think of kids learning this at such a young age and having this as a resource for, you know, whatever traumas they encounter down the line. Um, and also, as we said, to put it to use with some adult work as well. So thank you so much. It was so helpful. And uh, we would love to have you on again. But you're going to be a little busy in the next couple months, huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I am 35 weeks pregnant. So, you know, I'll, I'll be busy. But uh, if anybody has any continuing questions, um, I am on Instagram, this dot speech dot life. Um, and you can also reach me at the same um, Gmail account as well. I'll put it in the chat. So if you have any questions or you want to know more about it, um, you know, I'm happy to point you to the right way. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. Great questions, everyone. Thank you. Have a great night, everyone. Take care. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. 
Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Keep up the good work.